may your words fall on our hearts, that we may fall in love with you more and more. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, what an interesting time we live in in these days. The whole world seems to be coming apart. Everything's coming to a halt. March Madness now has a new meaning, maddening many of the fans. The NBA has dribbled to a halt. The start of baseball season has struck out. Tennis events got slammed. The hockey season has been put on ice. <laughs> Even breaks were applied to bike week. Conventions, conferences, all canceled. Theme parks have closed, sending vacationers packing. Financial markets are tumbling, not making sense. Governments seeking ways to blame someone else while trying to keep an eye on the population's calm. One great irony I sort of figured out in a roundabout way, homeschooling is now being promoted. <laughs> in a way, I am reminded of a classic story which, seems, which was made into a movie back in 1963, for those of us that might remember then. If you remember the sword and the stone, yes, Pastor Birch would use some more intellectual for illustrations, but this is me. If you recall the story when Merlin, who is Arthur, King Arthur's instructor, teacher, he is in competition with the antagonist, Madame Mim. Now each one of them is trying to outdo the other one through their magic by making themselves bigger and stronger to defeat their adversary. Then at one time, Madame Mem just becomes this great big dinosaur and Merlin disappears. What he had done, he become a little germ and infected the great monster and brought the monster down. Now, we are hearing over the past several weeks something similar. The havoc that's caused by small germs or virus and how much havoc that causes around the world. The world is in confusion, frustrated because no one can make it just go away. No one was able to plan for. Nobody knew what was there. So many unknowns and people are so anxious. So I would ask as we look at scriptures this morning, if you'd look at your Bibles, it's one under your seats, or if you have your own, or turn on your devices, to Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. Hear now the word of God. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray again. Lord Jesus, your word that you have given to us is holy, good for instruction, 
and profitable for teaching us to, to fall in love with you more and bringing us to you. Father, teach us in this time. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, the first word, rejoice. We are commanded to rejoice, to be thankful always in all things and all circumstances. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 and 18 reads, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God and Christ Jesus for you. I think there's some commonality with this. Throughout the Older and the Newer Testaments, God's people are commanded to give thanks and rejoice. So you see, the two actions are always tied together. Granted, it is easy to rejoice and give thanks when things are going well. But the scriptures tell us to give thanks always, even in troubled times, even in illness. In James 1, he says, count it all joys when you face various trials. This is a difficult thing to do, isn't it? We do not understand the purpose, but there is a reason for the trials that God allows us to face. The uncertainty of the outcome, the unknown future. Through our trials, our moments of anxiety, God is preparing us, using us for his glory, for his purpose. Let me read more from James chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." Now, is there, a common, there is a common saying that you may have heard around, knowledge is power. However, without wisdom, which is the application of the knowledge, what is the purpose of knowledge? Don't you know some people that are just brilliant people, but they have no common sense, no wisdom what to do with it? You need wisdom. I know some very wise people that maybe aren't that smart, but know a lot of knowledgeable people that are just totally off the rocker. We just read that God grants us wisdom if we ask, and generously. How does that usually happen? Through personal experiences and by learning from others. The lessons are rarely easy. An example from the Older Testament, and one of my favorite, if you recall, Moses. For 40 years, Moses was trained in Pharaoh's courts. He was raised as Pharaoh's son, having to go through all the classes, the military, the leadership classes, the languages, the governing, everything that they had to go through. Probably wasn't all that bad, but it was not easy. 
Well, then for the second 40 years after Moses failed to test, where did he go? He was in the desert, leading a flock of sheep around for 40 years. God calls him back, goes back to Israel. Israelites are freed. And where does Moses go? 40 years, back in the same desert he was for the previous 40 years. The previous 40 years was a very trying time. Trying to find where to food for the, for the flock, water for the flock. Now he just has a different flock. So imagine the trials he, he faced, all the anxious moments he must have, must have had coming before God. Moses knew God's calling and a great faith in God to lead him and be with him. The Apostle Paul had experience where God used him in less ideal situations. How did God call the Apostle Paul to begin with? Where did Paul spend much of his life? In prison. But before the prison time in Romans 5, 1 through 5, let me read. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope and glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Again, it is hard to rejoice in all things, especially when we have the circumstances of such great unknown and the world around us even more lost and fearful without the hope of Christ. Some of the other trials that may be seen. Some of us older ones remember, oh, Johnny down the street has the German measles. Why don't you go play with them? What did that do? We got sick, but it built up an immunity. Gave us character, gave us strength, gave us endurance. The best counseling that somebody can give to another, um, where we, from the conference we had the other week with the unwanted pregnancies, unplanned pregnancies, who gives the best counseling? Women who, who have been there. In the previous passage, Paul's, notice Paul's attitude. He had suffered much at that point and realized that more was yet to come. And he had a peace which passes all understanding. He had the hope in Christ Jesus. We can rest assured in the promises of God and that the knowledge that he is in control. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, let me just define one thing. A lot of people like to think, well, there's bad things that happen to, to believers. Why did God allow that? It's not for our glory. It's for God's glory. For him to build his kingdom. 
If you recall, several years ago, the church shot up. People died in a church. As I said earlier, through our trials, our moments of anxiety, God is preparing us, using us for His glory, for His purpose. We may not see how things are working at the time. We may not like how God is using us. We must remember, it is not for me. I may be only a nail in God's kingdom. I do not like getting pounded on while I'm being driven into the wood. But maybe my purpose is to only hold and secure pieces together as God is building his kingdom. I do not deserve to be even part of his kingdom. Yet he called me, and he can, and he will use me as he chooses. I can rest assured in Christ Jesus that nothing will separate me from the love of God. Again, from Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, or things present, or things to come, or powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. What a promise. Well, why are we anxious? Next point, do not be anxious. For this point in this morning, let's not interpret that instruction to be, to be foolish and to not prepare and plan for things today or the future. The question is, where is your heart? I will read from a portion of the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 6, 25 through 34, where Jesus is talking. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they are? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil or spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like any of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or where shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We return to Philippians 4. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Oh, one question. How is your prayer life? 
When is the best time to pray? Are we talking to God, to the creator of all things? Are we so busy with life that we are constantly running around, helter-skelter, racing from one event to another, trying to be at the end, trying to be in on and up to date with everything? What if God is calling out, stop, be still, and know that I am God? Revisiting Moses as the Israelites approached the Red Sea after their escape from Egypt. There is the sea ahead of them, around them, mountains. The only apparent exit is the way that they entered in, through the mountains. And that is now being blocked by an entire Egyptian army as they are pursuing them. They had to stop. There's nowhere for them to go. Do you think they might have been feeling a little apprehensive, a little anxious about things going on? What was going to happen to them? Then God tells them in Exodus 14, And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. Be still. How did Jesus talk to his father when he prayed? He would go away from the crowds and all the distractions. He would shut out and he would come before the father, giving thanks and supplications. If you recall, what did he pray in Gethsemane? Father, if able, take this cup from me. He prayed his heart to his father. It was time to acknowledge the Father, to talk to Him, to wait on Him, as we should also. So let us also be aware that this day, if you have heard, the President has called for a National Day of Prayer. Let us remember that throughout the day. Let me read one more time the passage, Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Wonderful Lord and Savior, we thank you for your word for the peace that you give us, Lord, how we could be so anxious about things. We know we don't have control, that you are in control by your glory. We praise your name and give you thanks. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen.